Good morning. What a beautiful Lord's Day it is, and it's great to see all of you here and awake and smiling. So thank you for being with us this morning. If you're visiting with us for the first time, uh, we just want you to know here at East LJ Baptist Church, we've been captivated by Christ. The gospel reveals to us the glory of God, the scripture says, in the face of Jesus Christ. Through his life, death, and resurrection, as revealed in the gospel, we see the glory of God, and we have been captivated by his grace. Uh, We exist as a church to spread our enjoyment of his beauty with the world, and we hope you see that beauty today. Uh, That's why we're here. That's, That's why we do everything we do, is that others might see his beauty and be captivated by him. I want to give a quick thank you to Roger Putnam for leading our, what I believe is our most needful and powerful gathering. You say, well, what is that? It's called Cry Out to Jesus Prayer Service, and it happens every Sunday night at 6 o'clock. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, either we believe that or we don't. And if we believe it, we do what? We cry out to Jesus who said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Amen? Amen. And all throughout church history, corporate prayer has been the, the spark of the great movements of God's power among his people and through his people. So thank you, Roger, for keeping that going in my absence the last couple weeks. Join me in standing, if you will, as we read from Luke chapter 19. We uh, departed from our study of Luke's gospel for uh, several weeks. We jumped back in today on Palm Sunday, right where we left off, Luke 19, verse 28. And when he, that is Jesus, had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away who were sent, went away, and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works That they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now, They are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. I'm so thankful that our Savior is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's the king that came and and that first time gave his life 
to make us his children. And he's coming back. And I'm so thankful that we've had eyes, if we know him today, we've had eyes to see who he is. We've recognized him in the day of his visitation in our own personal lives. And one day he's coming back for that final visitation. He's going to take us all home. Amen? I'm thankful that we know that gospel truth. But there's so many around us that don't know that gospel truth, the, the reality of who Jesus is. Uh, so we want to pray for our neighbors. We want to pray for the nations. The Wamiao people of China, 797,000 people in this people group with only about 1,000 believers, a little over 1,000 believers in the mix. Uh, 1,000 among a million almost, three-quarters of a million. And so let's pray for our brothers and sisters there, but that the gospel would spread. And join me as we pray for uh, several others that are sick and grieving as well. Father, we thank you that you have revealed to us who Jesus is in your word, through the gospel, and by the power of your Holy Spirit at work in our hearts. Thank you that we know our King. And what a privilege it is to be called your children. What a privilege it is to, to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. And may our, may our worship of him be true today. Lord, for those all around us, even those who are coming to our minds right now by name, give us boldness to speak the truth of Jesus into their lives. Lord, to tell them who you are and what you've done for them. And Father, raise up from our midst and in your church around the world people to take the gospel to the Wamiao people of China. Use our brothers and sisters, though they be few and so small in number, uh, and scattered all throughout the, the population of their people group. Father, use them. Give them unusual power. Just, just strengthen them by your spirit in an unusual way to spread the gospel and build your church there. Father, this morning we want to lift up uh, a number of folks. Lord, we pray for the family of Thomas Watson as they grieve his death today. Uh, Lord, even as we continue to pray for... Um, Trisha Patterson and her family. We also lift up the family of Yvonne Penland and the family of Lisa Howard, both of whom passed away this last week. Lord, continue to lift up Steve Montgomery and, and Tony Jordan and Natalie Johnson and her family. Uh, Lord, we pray for Jane Anderson. And uh, Lord, continue to pray for Miss Ruth Roberts as well. Lord, you know each and every situation. You're present. You're, you're there with each and every one. Comfort, Father, as only you can. For your glory, bring healing where you would do that and, uh, and Lord, where it would serve your, your purposes. Father, in other cases, give strength and perseverance and a sense of your presence and peace and joy. Lord, what a privilege it is to be in this place this morning. May we be still and realize that we are in your presence. May we not take for granted the freedom and the privilege that it is to be in this moment. And may we fully take advantage of this time that we have to worship our King. So Jesus be exalted and satisfy us as only you can. 
overflow our hearts with your grace and, and peace today, we ask. For your name's sake, we pray it. Amen. Amen. Take just a moment and greet those around you. If you see somebody you don't know, introduce yourself. And then in just a second, our worship team will bring us back with our first song. Oh, 
Amen. You may be seated for just a few minutes here. And this morning we have the privilege to welcome Mr. Bob Burgess. He is the president of the LJ, the Gideon's LJ camp. And Bob is going to come and share with us for just a few moments about the work of the Gideons. We are friends of the Gideons. Uh, we love the work that they do in getting God's Word into the hands of people who don't have a copy, not just here in the United States, but all around the world. And so we're thankful for the privilege to support them today. Uh, we will be receiving an, a love offering for them in addition to our regular giving on the way out this morning. And so, uh, Bob, come and share about the work of the Gideons and welcome to East LJ. Good to have you. Yes, sir. Good morning, church. Well, I am Bob Burgess, and I'm traveling this morning with my sweetheart. We live right here in LJ, and uh, as Chad said, our our local camp is here. And um, but we are here representing what we call the Gideons International, which is the larger organization around the world. And uh, I'd like to begin by asking you to ponder a question that I know you know the answer to, but it'll just set up some comments I have. My question is, can you imagine your life without the foundation of God's word? Can you imagine your life having never been able to hear the gospel and confess Jesus? It is hard to imagine, hopefully for all of us here today. Gideon's encounter millions of people at home and around the world that have never heard God's word and have never heard his message. So our mission is clear. We're here to take his word and his message freely and directly to as many souls as possible so that they might know Jesus. More than 245,000 Gideon men and women volunteers in 12,000 locations around the world, get up every morning, put their feet on the floor, and pray that Jesus would, that God would put someone in their path who needs Jesus, excuse me. The model that Gideon's used for doing God's work is awfully simple. It's taking a testament that you all, I'm hoping, are familiar with, and placing it into the hand of anyone who will reach out and take it. It's taking Bibles to hotels and placing them in the rooms, knowing that many travelers will come and open the book. And it's witnessing personally to anyone who, li who will listen to the gospel message. Last year, a young woman checked into a hotel in Tifton, Georgia. She didn't intend to check out. Instead, she planned to die by suicide that evening. Life's burdens had overwhelmed her. She just wanted out, and when she entered the room, she noticed what looked like a business card on her nightstand. And when she picked it up, she noticed it was really an invitation. And on that invitation, it said, if you need spiritual comfort, call this number. God loves you. And it was actually an invitation from a chaplain employed by the hotel chain that owned this particular hotel. 
she picked up the phone, dialed the number, and started to tell her life's broken story. He listened, and then he began to suggest to her that there's the possibility of an amazing new life. He encouraged her to remove the Bible from the nightstand, to kneel on her knees by the bedside, open the Bible, and place her hands on it. And he said, if you'll allow me, I'd like to walk you through some really life-changing scripture. And she agreed. But he said, I want you to read them to me out loud. And she agreed. So he began to lead her through the scriptures that he later reported that she commented, quote, that she could feel the voice of God pounding into her heart as she read, end quote. And yes, the story ends, she accepts Jesus Christ. Hallelujah for that. The next morning, housekeeping calls the front desk and said, this room does not look like it's been slept in. Are you sure it's been occupied? But wait a minute, we've noticed that the Gideon Bible is missing and we just praise God for that. So, but wait, there's more. Here's how God works. Two days later, Marty and I checked into that very hotel. In our room, we found a little card that said, if you need spiritual comfort, call this number. God loves you. And we thought, wow, what a great idea. Maybe we could somehow use that in the Gideons. I don't know. The next day when we checked out, we decided to call the chaplain. And we thanked him for providing comfort to his guests. And we said, have you ever had anybody call you? And he told us this story. So just by chance, by chance, God has allowed me to bring you this story this morning because we checked into that hotel a couple days later and picked up the phone. Gideons are currently organized and active in 200 countries around the world. We produce Bibles right now in 109 languages. But here's something more amazing to me, and I hope it's going to touch you all as well. There might not even be a Gideon's ministry if it wasn't for a pastor and a church. In the early days of Gideon's, and Gideon's was founded in 1899, but in the early days, Gideon men met together for Christian fellowship and Bible study because in those days, they traveled across the United States selling goods and providing services. But good things started to happen to the ministry, and Gideon men began to be recognized as men of God with a separated walk, and they were seen by churches, and they were seen by businesses, and they were seen by even newspapers and magazines, and they, they began to be very visible across the land. They enjoyed an excellent reputation as men of God. And in 1908, and this is important, a local pastor who noticed the high character of the Gideon men in his church went to his congregation and said, you know, why don't we ask the Gideons to place Bibles in hotels? And they voted yes. 
They approached the Gideons. Everybody shook hands. A deal was done. Now, 114 years later, I can tell you that 2.4 billion scriptures have not only been placed in hotels, but been made available across the world, one at a time, in hospitals, in schools, in universities, in police stations, in fire departments, first responders of all kinds, jails and prisons, wherever there's a high traffic lane of life, that's where we go. All because of a pastor coming to us and making that suggestion. Over time, churches began to invite Gideons to come and speak as I am today. And then churches began to give financially and to pray. Today, every Gideon must be a member of good standing of a local church. And every Gideon must be recommended for membership by his pastor. So you can see the connection between the Gideons and the local church. And it's very, very important for me to say to you all, because I know you are Gideon friendly, as Pastor Chad said, thank you so much for your faithfulness. We are deeply committed to partnering with local churches, especially right here in our hometown. But we presently have relationships with thousands of churches around the world who are making a huge difference in God's kingdom work. And what a joy it is for all of us to be his workmanship. For we Gideons, there's no doubt that the promise of Isaiah 55:11 is being fulfilled, seeing that God's word does not return void or unused, as we witness thousands coming to Christ each year after receiving and responding to what lies between the covers of our testaments and our Bibles. But here's the challenge we face. Everywhere we go, literally everywhere we go and distribute Bibles and Testaments, we are asked, when will you come back? We need more. And that's the question that Gideons ask themselves, ladies and gentlemen, every day. When will we go back? Where will we go next? And how will we meet the need? And even though Gideons are placing two testaments every second of every day around the world, the need for more testaments remains exceedingly great. And there's never been a time our mission has been more urgent than right now in this terribly broken world. And I would just like to make a comment to the men here today. Don't think that Gideons are a bunch of old men slinging Bibles around because we have nothing to do. We are deeply, deeply committed to serving the Lord. We feel like we have been chosen for a special kind of walk. We do not compete with the church. We hope to complement the church. If you feel a tug in your heart, men, to even consider being a Gideon, First of all, I would suggest you talk to this man right over here. But other than that, I would love to talk to you or one of our Gideon brothers. And wives, I suggest you join with your husbands if he does. Marty and I can testify to the fact 
that our lives have changed significantly over the five years that we've been Gideons and that we truly feel blessed to be working side by side for the sake of the gospel and it's really made a difference in our lives. So church, please know that we Gideons truly cherish the spiritual relationship that we have with you. We also want you to know that we greatly welcome and need prayer. We are a ministry of prayer. Gideon men, every Saturday morning at 7 a.m., gather and pray for this and other churches. Pray for pastors, wives, and children by name. We pray for the congregation and the leadership. We pray for these churches, and we hope you sense our prayers. We need prayers back. We also need prayers for financial support that will have a steady flow of funds to purchase more and more testaments. We also pray that you would help this crazy world open its doors to countries where God's word is, no, is not, currently not permitted. And if you wish to consider a financial gift this morning, I'd like to thank you in advance. But please be certain not to give us a nickel that you would take away from what you intend to give your church. That's not what we're looking for. And if you're going to donate today and you wish to use the check, it's The Gideons International. I'll just remind you that our testaments cost us $1.30 each. For $130, you can buy a case of 100 that would be shipped anywhere in the world where the need is greatest. Our Bibles, our hotel Bibles are $5. And each Bible has the potential to reach more than 2,300 people in its average life of six years. And then we go in and replace those Bibles. We take the used Bibles, we take the hard covers off, we put soft covers on and provide those to our prison ministry. They must have soft covers to go into the jails and prisons. Every scripture that we distribute, every salvation story that we receive, involves churches and believers just like you all. So Pastor Kelly, thank you for this time. Church, thank you. It is always great to come and worship. The worship team, I compliment you on that first song. It was very touching. So God bless you and have a wonderful day. Amen. Let's stand again together and uh, join Leslie as she leads us in this next song. you mm -hmm. 
sing with Megan as she leaves.
this morning we thank you that we can come again and again to the cross Lord not that we need to get saved over and over again or anything like that but Lord thank you that we can come through your word through the gospel and be reminded of what you've done for us in Jesus and thank you that we can come into your presence together this morning because of the cross the finished work of Jesus and thank you that even as we enter this Passion Week, Lord, now, for what you've done, we thank you. Because of the cross, we come. And Lord Jesus, thank you that having died and perfectly, fully paid for our sins, on the third day you rose, and we serve a living Savior. The only true and living God. Father, may we understand more about who you are. Lord Jesus, may we see you more clearly. Even as we hear your words, and as we watch the scene unfold before us again today from your word. And may our lives be lived in surrender to the King of Kings. May we submit to you and worship you and follow you as you are. That we never recreate you into our own image and for our own ends. For that is not worship. And you are not a genie in a bottle. You're the risen one. So now we pray, God, that you would be our teacher by your spirit and that you would transform us by your word. We need you this hour. So we just pour our hearts out to you, Lord. We depend on you. We lean on you. We wait on you. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your word and the power of it and your presence and the power of your spirit.
We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn with me your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 19. As you're doing that, we'll be dismissed to Children's Church. And thank you to all of those who serve us uh, by serving our families, our kids in Children's Church. As well as nursery, as well as Sunday school, and as well as Wednesday night, we appreciate all those who serve our children. We're looking at Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 28, in just a few moments. One pastor said, they would lay down their palms, he would lay down his life. A lot can change in a week. Today we begin our celebration of the most important week in history, Holy Week, Passion Week. And that first Palm Sunday, if, you, if we look back at that story, it's amazing, isn't it? That first Palm Sunday, everyone had an agenda for Jesus. Everyone had an agenda for Jesus, and really not much has changed, has it? Oh, all across our country, we want him to bless our politics, our careers, our health, our bank accounts, especially our churches. But we define bless in terms that have to do with power in our American society, comfort, ease, prestige, rights, and all kinds of public and societal success. But on that Sunday, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords aspired to a power that came through the ultimate sacrifice of the cross. That's not what the people thought, but that's where Jesus knew he was headed. As he made his way into Jerusalem, Jesus was on a mission to die. On a criminal's cross, for all those who in that moment surrounded him with accolades in hopes that he'd bless again their agenda. And in that sacrifice that would come on Good Friday in his humble service to us all, we see the greatest display of power the world has ever known, real power that comes through self-sacrifice. Jesus would truly bless even all those with an agenda for him by doing what no one else would have ever realized we all needed the most, He would bring salvation, atonement, forgiveness, even imputed righteousness and redemption. He would give us, in a word, grace through his voluntary sacrifice, through Roman crucifixion of all ways, and his powerful resurrection from the dead three days later. And oh, how our world needs to see us, me and you as believers, the church refusing the worldly power that comes from greed politics and godless religion, and instead displaying to the world Jesus' revolutionary, upside-down kind of power that can only come through humble sacrifice and love and service to our world, including and especially our enemies, even as he came to die for us. And that's how we'll live if we really comprehend and apply the truth Jesus was communicating by his actions on Palm Sunday, so let's just break those down. The title of this morning's message is this, Do You Know This Jesus? The one revealed in Scripture, the one seen on that first Palm Sunday. 
the, the truth I want you to take home is, is just real simple. We must welcome Jesus as he is, not as we want him to be. We must welcome Jesus as he is, not as we want him to be. This morning I want to show you two beautiful realities about who Jesus is that were clearly revealed on Palm Sunday that will help us rightly welcome Jesus in our hearts as he is. First of all, do you know this Jesus? First of all, do you know the Jesus revealed here that is the messianic sovereign? Jesus is the messianic sovereign. Jesus is the long-awaited, prophetically foretold, sovereign king who saves. Make no mistake today, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Luke 19, verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? They own the colt. Everybody with me? Just imagine this. This would be kind of a wild situation. And they said, just like he told them to, The Lord has need of it. And everything was okay. They just let him take the colt. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Matthew's account in Matthew 21 verses 4 and 5 tells us this. This took place... To fulfill the prophecy that said, quoting from Zechariah 9, verse 9, Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Zechariah 9, verse 9, prophecy given in 520 B.C. Even the mount of the Messiah was foretold. What sovereignty over all of the details of Jesus' arrival. Jesus is the messianic sovereign. Jesus sovereignly orchestrated all the details of that day. He is the messianic sovereign. He is the one in control on Palm Sunday, 2022, and every day of our lives. John's account, beginning in John 12, verses 13 through 19, says it adds this. It's where we get the idea of Palm Sunday, because if you were paying attention in Luke, you never heard anything about palm branches, did you? You heard about coats. And in John 12, it says that they took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. And they shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of kings. A quotation from Psalm 118, again, fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament. He is the messianic sovereign. The one who was prophesied has come. Matthew's account says that they shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna is that Hebrew word for salvation has come. 
The son of David is our salvation. That's what they were saying, even as they cried out. Even the cry of the crowd was prophesied. Back in John's account again, verse uh, 14 of that chapter, Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't fully understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy, but after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him because they had heard about this miraculous sign. A big one, Lazarus was raised from the dead, taken out of the tomb. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. Jesus is the messianic sovereign. He orchestrated all the details in sync with the Old Testament prophecies of Palm Sunday. Back in Luke 19, verse 37, it says, When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. I've been in that spot or thereabouts. Obviously, I don't know exactly where Luke meant when he wrote that, but you can see a picture here. And that's looking down the Mount of Olives toward Jerusalem. And you see there um, the Dome of the Rock in the background, the Gold Dome. That's where the Temple Mount is in Jerusalem. And what an amazing uh, reality to know Jesus went down that very road that Sunday as the people praised. Luke 19.38 says, tells us what they sang. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, If they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Now what the crowds were saying, we've already established this clearly, what the crowds were saying was exactly true, right? He is the Messianic Sovereign. He is the King of Israel. He did come to rescue His people, but from their greatest of all enemies, their own sin, not the Romans. And the Jews, Jerusalem, totally missed that as they welcomed their King. All the people throwing down their coats and, 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 and palm branches and, 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 and singing these Old Testament psalms to Jesus, they thought he was coming to oust the Romans from their capital city. They missed the fact that this king purposefully rode a donkey as a sign that he came as the prince of peace. That was symbolized in the donkey's cult. It was an animal of peace, not to wage war against Rome, in which case he would have come as a general on a mighty steed. Jesus would later this week tell Pilate, the representative of the Roman Empire, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews, but now my kingdom is another 
place, another kingdom from another place, another kind of king, the one nobody was looking for, but the only one that can save the world. Oh, Jesus is going to ride a white horse one day, arrayed as a warrior, and he will wage war. Listen, not for any earthly power in defense of any nation, but in vindication of that uh, eternal, from another place, kingdom, and his ways that this world has rejected and despised. And on that day, Jesus will show each and every one of every kingdom of this world He'll show them for what they truly are, empires of an idolatrous state power that hate the sovereignty of Jesus, empires of state-endorsed religion that hate the grace and mercy of Jesus for sinners, and empires of state-empowered greed that hate the eternity-shaped value system of Jesus. It'll be clear that day as Revelation 19 Verses 11 to 16 describe it. Then I saw heaven open, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. That is the way he will come again. And I long for that day, don't you? If you know him, you do. If you reject him today, you should fear that day. And yet you don't have to know him as the king of kings, the judge of the earth. You can know him as the prince of your peace with God. But on Palm Sunday, praise his name, Jesus came as the messianic sovereign who brings peace with God through his sacrifice for the sins of the world. Jesus said of himself, the reason my father loves me in John 10, is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. But the people there that day just didn't get it. As one commentator says, they wanted to be free from Gentile oppression, even if by force, even if by threats and plagues and a split sea, as they recounted so well in their own history as a nation. They wanted another exodus, one that expelled the Romans. And instead, what they got by Friday morning was a bloodied has-been, a man in Roman custody, rejected by their own leaders, standing next to an infamous criminal called Barabbas. They wanted an incomparable king, but they would see on Friday a beaten, in their own leaders' minds, blasphemer. Or so they thought. The sounds of this Sunday, Palm Sunday, would later be betrayed by the sounds of their stony hearts. Blessed is he would soon become crucify him. 
for this reason. As awesome as the day is, Palm Sunday is, there's also something kind of nauseating about it, isn't there? For even though their words were appropriate, they really didn't believe that he was the messianic sovereign that their hearts needed the most. And they would, in just a few days, totally, ultimately, reject the one they'd hailed as their king. Instead of embracing him as their only savior. As John says, he came to his own people and even they rejected him. So, what about you? What about me? Is Jesus' name just on our lips casually? And because it's the thing to do around the church the rest of this time of year, while our hearts in reality are far from him, our lives are nowhere close to the leading of our shepherd? Or do you and I truly believe Jesus Christ is the messianic sovereign who has brought us our only hope for salvation from our sins and peace with God through his life, death, and resurrection? One day, there's going to be a genuine Palm Sunday. Revelation 7 tells us about it. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count from every tribe, nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and, listen, held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. It'll be Palm Sunday for all of eternity. But the ones that are in that place on that Sunday with those palm branches singing those words to Jesus, it'll be true for them. Will you be there? Are you right now surrendered to Jesus Christ, the King of salvation? We must welcome Jesus as he is, not as we want him to be. Jesus is the Messianic sovereign. But secondly, this morning, he's the merciful Savior. Luke 19, verses 41 to 44. Jesus, what we see in these verses is this. Jesus is the merciful Savior. He weeps for those who reject him and longs for all to embrace his mercy. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city, he began to weep. So, so I think what we're supposed to see here in the, as, it, as it unfolds is he's continuing to ride the donkey's colt toward Jerusalem. The crowds are still doing their thing and going crazy, but in the middle of that, as you saw in that picture earlier, he sees the city. And he begins to weep. Why? Because of what he says in verse 42 and following, how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. He's talking to the city of Jerusalem. But now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not accept your opportunity for salvation. He began to weep. The word used for weep here is, in the Greek, a, a strong word. This is not, um, this is not just some little sobbing deal. This is a, a weeping out loud. It's a heaving with sorrow. You know the kind of crying where you can't catch your breath. It's that kind of weeping, tears of agony. Not some sophisticated sobbing of a too few tears. Uncontrollable wailing. This was what Jesus was doing over the destiny of the city of Jerusalem. Because it breaks the heart of God when people reject 
His love and mercy and grace in Jesus. In that moment, when the multitudes were shouting His praises, His heart is breaking over the woes of the city that He knew would slay Him later that same week, just days. Only in one other place are we told that Jesus wept. It's John 11, verse 35. It was over the death of Lazarus, even though Jesus knew what He was fixing to do. It's interesting, in both of those cases, when he wept, it's over human sorrow. It's out of heart of love for people. Why does Jesus weep and lament for this city? Because God had sent them the prophets and now his only begotten son. They did not understand God's word of judgment because of their own pride and unbelief. The inhabitants of, of Jerusalem did not recognize God's visitation in the person of his son, Jesus. Jesus' entrance was a gracious visitation by God. Jerusalem's lack of faith, however, led to their destruction. Jesus' death and resurrection would bring about a new temple in the Holy Spirit, the church as the bride of Christ and the people of God. The question for us today is, do you recognize God's visitation today? You see, Jesus knew what would happen About 30 years later, Jesus knew of the brutal slaughter of tens of thousands of Jews in Jerusalem by the Romans that would occur in AD 70 under General Titus, and it happened. And there was not a stone of the temple left standing. And his heart in this moment was full of mercy that gave way to sorrow because his own people, the nation of Israel, would choose to reject him and would have to suffer God's judgment. That's the heartbreak of God in that moment. There's no way in the world you can view God as being indifferent to those who perish. Jesus wept over those who would soon perish. The Old Testament says he finds no no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He finds grief in the death of the wicked. While God is righteous and holy and therefore angry about sin, He is at the same time perfectly compassionate. Psalm 86 verse 15 says, But thou, O Lord, art to God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. Lamentations 3 verse 22, I love it says, the Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This wasn't the first time Jesus had expressed His heart for Jerusalem. Back in Luke 13, verse 34, Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. What a tender and merciful Savior. That's his heart for you today, if you don't know him. But each person, just like the city of Jerusalem, just like the nation of Israel, has a choice to make. Theirs is not an incurable ignorance, but the cure is simple repentance rather than some kind of education. 
Jerusalem, the nation of Israel, they refused to repent. They refused to embrace Jesus, the merciful Savior and Messianic Sovereign. And as John MacArthur says, people who perish, listen, people who perish, perish because they don't want to trust Jesus and live. Jesus wept because of this unwillingness to believe. It grieved his heart. And here's the deal, it should grieve ours as well. Do you trust Jesus as your Savior today? If not, know this, Jesus weeps for you. His heart breaks for you. He loves you. He gave his life for you. If you're one of Jesus' sheep this morning, if you know him as your Savior, then my question for you, my question for me is does our heart weep with the same mercy for those who don't yet know him? We're reminded of just how big Jesus' heart is with mercy, not just here in this scene on Palm Sunday, but just a few days later on Good Friday as he hangs mutilated and dying on that Roman cross, only minutes from his own death, as he prays for the ones who put him on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Even there on the cross, mercy for those who are crucifying him fills the heart of our merciful Savior. Jesus is such a tender Savior, but his mercy moved him to deny himself and go to the cross to meet our greatest need by paying for our Sin, And that means there's hope and there's mercy and there's forgiveness for me and for you no matter what we've done. No matter what we've done. No matter how far we've strayed. Even as Romans 5 verse 8 says, God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He is a merciful Savior. But we must welcome Jesus as he is, not as we want him to be. This Palm Sunday, 2022, doesn't have to be for us like the first one was for the crowds. Their praise was hollow and hypocritical. They would, in just a few days, betray the one they'd called king and cry out loud for his torturous death on the cross. We must welcome Jesus as he is, not as we want him to be. You see, today you and I can sincerely and humbly bow our hearts and surrender to Jesus, the Messianic Sovereign, that He is. Taking His salvation and giving Him control of our lives. And you and I can embrace Jesus as our merciful Savior. And then we can go out of here as His people and spread His mercy to our world. Weeping for those who reject Him and pleading with them. Even as we deny ourselves and make sacrifices to tell them of our merciful Savior who loved them to death that they might be forgiven and live forever with Him. The heart of every person must welcome Jesus as He is, not as we want Him to be. If that person, if that man, that woman, that boy, that girl is to truly and personally know God's mercy and salvation, do you know this Jesus? Let's pray. Father, today, may anyone in the place who 
does not know you through faith in Jesus Christ. Today, may they bow to Jesus, the Messianic Sovereign. And as they bow, may they cling with all their hearts to Jesus, the merciful Savior. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We praise you for what you've done. Thank you for this beginning to another Passion Week as we think about your sufferings for us this week. We think about our suffering King, which makes the whole deal even all the more unbelievable and amazing. Now we slow down this week and think deeply and prayerfully about all that you've done for us. That your love and mercy would motivate us to live transformed lives, different, holy lives, and lives of witness that can't be silenced. Wherein we sing the good news that we know about our merciful Savior. Lord, work in our hearts now, we pray. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Stand together and worship. This altar's open for you to come and respond to the message however you may need to this morning. The doors of our church are open to receive members. God would call you and our local church family to serve with us here as we seek to get the good news out to the world. Just whatever your need uh, as we sing.
God's people said. Amen, amen. Please be seated for just a moment. <clears throat> a couple of announcements as we get ready to dismiss. First of all, on your way out, in addition to your regular offering, uh, we'll be receiving an offering, love offering for the Gideon ministry. Again, Bob and Marty, thank you for being with us this morning. Privilege and a joy to have you join us today. This afternoon at 2 o'clock, is that right time? Chloe? 2 o'clock is the time for Chloe Cantrell's bridal shower. This is Samuel MacArthur's fiance, and we are excited about that. Uh, Two o'clock, right out here uh, in the hallway today. Crowd to Jesus prayer services tonight at 6 p.m. Join us as we pray and cry out to, to Jesus for the loss that we know, even as we've been talking about this morning, uh, for our missionaries, for the sick, for the grieving, uh, for the needs of our church. Wednesday evening, Seeds Kids and Chapter 8 Youth will resume at 6.30, Pete's at 6 o'clock. Are the kids doing something special on Wednesday night? No. Okay. So, adult Bible study also on Wednesday night. Larry Mullinax will be leading the study in, in room 102, just inside the door on your right when you come in. And the treasure study principal will be here with me in the sanctuary at 6.30. Leadership. Our monthly meeting is this Wednesday, immediately following those Bible studies, 7.30, 7.45, somewhere in there, as soon as we can make that happen, on Wednesday evening. Good Friday candlelight communion service is this Friday, April the 15th, 6 p.m. So continue to pray for the folks that you've been praying for now for seven weeks, um, and begin to invite them, if you haven't already, to join you for the Good Friday uh, candlelight communion service. This is the second most uh, likely time that they'll come with you. The first is Christmas Eve, and to, the next is Good Friday service. So uh, invite them to Good Friday. Invite them to um, East Church Church on, on Easter Sunday. If they can't make Good Friday, if they can make both, bring them to both. They'll get the gospel both times. And uh, we just pray that the Lord will save many this next weekend. Next Sunday is Easter, and on Easter we're going to be receiving our 
quarterly foreign missions offering. So please prayerfully be preparing to give generously for the salvation of the nations next Sunday morning on Easter Sunday morning. And finally, Saturday, April the 30th, Bill Emery has taken up the cause of the men's breakfast. And so on Saturday, April the 30th, 8 a.m., we will have a men's breakfast here. Um, we will welcome uh, men of the church. We will welcome our new youth pastor, Trey, on that Saturday morning. And so come meet Trey at breakfast on Saturday, April the 30th. If you're interested in helping with the men's breakfast, being involved in that, and that is everything from cooking to organization to clean up, see Bill Emery. Bill, wave at us. If you don't know Bill, that's Bill Emery and his wife, Deb. And if you're on this side of the church, you never got across and met or just whatever, that's Bill and Deb Emery, and Bill is the man. So if you're interested in the men's breakfast, see Bill before you leave today. Thank you, Bill, for taking, um, taking up that cause and, and getting that uh, going again for us. Any other announcements? Yes, sir. Okay. All right. Amen. That provokes a question. Who all are you feeding? Just so we're clear. Okay. Youth and the children, okay, all right. I'm just making that clear because otherwise you'd have a bunch of people showing up for breakfast on Wednesday evening, so all right, good deal. Thank you, Trey, for that. Looking forward to Wednesday night. Any other announcements? If not, Larry, would you dismiss us in prayer?